0: Thank you for submitting to this involuntary interrogation today.
2: Yeah, well, I didn't have a choice, did I? Trust
1: no one. The level of sedition, anti-authority behaviour and advertiser-unfriendly thought crime has reached record levels, especially amongst Australia's elites. Treason. Luckily, the men and men of The Chaser have been commissioned by Border Force to conduct interrogations and sort out the subversives from the Patriots. Betrayal. In conjunction with ASIO and the Five Eyes Intelligence Sharing Protocols, this is Extreme Vetting with The Chaser. The Chaser. Okay, Dom, who's our subject today?
0: Charles, it's a Sarah Kendall, a 40-year-old female stand-up comedian. Originally from Newcastle, she's been based in London for the past 17 years Mm. or so, travelling regularly to and from the UK. She's been quite successful over there, actually, doing a whole lot of TV, performing at the world's biggest stand-up festival, the Edinburgh Festival, nominated for some awards there, and a radio series about Australia for the BBC very recently.
1: So it's a deep cover.
0: Yeah, she's really good, this one. The thing is, though, we've gone back to her university transcripts and we know she's a former drug addict. Interesting. Going backwards and forwards from the UK to Australia.
1: Very suspicious. We've got her detained in London in a secure location on a highly encrypted video link. She's at home, Charles, and we're using Skype. Yeah, but she's locked her front door. I checked.
0: She's based in London, but she wants to move back home. Well, we'll
1: be the judge of that.
0: All right, let's get her.
1: Now, can we just start with your full name?
2: Yeah, it's uh, Sarah Louise Montgomery Candle.
1: What's your star sign?
2: I'm a Leo. What are
1: you? Uh, I'm asking the questions.
2: Uh, sorry, I'm not really into it personally. You
0: don't think of yourself as a as a lion type figure?
2: I do eat my own children. And that is a very Leo that's thing very to do. That's Leo. That is a very lion thing to do. Where were you born? I was born in Newcastle, Australia.
1: You lived on the top of the hill, didn't you?
2: I did live on top of a hill. How did you know that?
1: Sarah, we have our sources. Yeah. I've oh. been surveilling you for 22 years.
2: And that's the only thing that you figured out. <laughs> You're asking me all these questions, and the only thing from all your surveillance is that I live on a hill. You don't even know my middle name. So, what? That is the, that is possibly the poorest <laughs> level of surveillance. That's it. You just know I lived on oh, it.
0: Oh, oh, we know your middle name, Sarah. We wanted to know whether you <laughs> would lie about your middle name. And you did. You did for the record. <laughs> sure. <laughs> okay. Sorry, Sarah. Charles, can I see you for a moment? Sure. Charles, why the hell did you tell her we've been surveilling her? Oh, not this again. Yes, this again. You keep telling our subjects our operational secrets.
1: OK, I forgot, but, but it worked. Worked. Yeah, she trusts us. Charles, she thinks we're idiots. I know, Dom. That's why she trusts us.
0: Charles, for now on, only ask her questions that she can't possibly mock or make fun
1: of. No worries. I've got some stuff on her dad that will totally throw her. She's going to be on the back foot. So your, your dad was a dentist did that ha- he co- was come with a certain cachet around town
2: <laughs> oh yes he was revered <laughs> i mean the locals didn't understand basic orthodontics so they thought he was some kind of witch doctor
0: <laughs> did you have perfect teeth growing up were you a model child yeah. dentally
2: i got i got braces at the age of so th- oh, about 13 And uh, I had the braces for two years. And when I went to bed in the evenings, I had to wear a head (laughs) brace thing. I'm not joking. I had to wear a head brace and I had to pull elastics out from the back teeth and hook them over this metal bar that was in front of my face.
0: Was this actually necessary or was it your dad showing off?
2: (laughs) Oh, my father was a psychopath. Um, Was he just scamming
1: Medicare for it or something?
2: Yeah, he was a dreadful man. He was a cruel man. (laughs) And uh, it brought the back teeth forward uh, and I had to wear it at night time for about a year.
1: That sounds very unpleasant indeed. Okay, Sarah, we're just going to take a quick break. Uh, Dom, can I have a chat to you outside? Okay, well, I think that's going pretty well. You think it's going well? Is it not going well? I think she's
0: cocky. I think she's
1: playing us. I think we need to up
0: the pressure. Yeah, let's get into her criminal background.
1: Yep, she's a Newcastle girl from the wrong side of the tracks. I bet you'll have a string of arrests. Let's find out. We'll just move on to some ethical questions. Have you sure. ever been arrested?
2: Um, no, but surprisingly. I mean, I've done some really stupid and illegal things and I've never been arrested. I imagine that's white privilege, right?
1: Exactly right. What's the most criminal thing that you've ever done and not been arrested for?
2: I, when I was i I'm really ashamed to admit this, by the way. I, I have a genuine horror at retelling this story, but um, I drank, drove a couple of times when I was about 18 or 19.
1: In Newcastle?
2: Yeah, yeah. I was a genuine um, dickhead, like an absolute dickhead who could have murdered myself, the people inside the vehicle and uh, any unfortunate person who was nearby. I got away with it. It was just pure luck, but... Um, yeah no, I was a I was a grade A idiot. Yeah,
1: that's horrible. <laughs> okay. well,
2: well I, know, it, I know, it's it, it is a bit terrible. Australian.
1: It that's actually true. it doesn't affect your citizenship status. That's
0: at all. true. That's actually probably a good sign in some respect. <laughs> <Yeah>. uh,
2: <laughs> you can now streamline this process, can't you? Like, there's oh, a lot of like, yeah, a lot of
1: things we skip over actually.
2: Through, a line through the next eleven pages, and then it's
1: all the halal you know, snack pack. You, you have ten questions now. An yeah right. Yeah,
2: yeah right. <laughs> Yeah.
1: Okay. Don't have to worry about. What about when you were younger, like before you were the age of 10, did you ever steal anything or were you a goody two-shoes?
2: Yes. Yeah, oh, look, I've I've stolen things recently. Recently? Um, nothing too, yeah, like nothing too over the top. But I have this thing, we have a pint glass collection in our house and, you know, sometimes you go to a pub and they've got really nice pint glasses. Uh, we make it a habit of stealing them. That would be probably my biggest guilty pleasure with theft.
0: Not not that I'll pass this on to the UK authorities, but whereabouts in your house is the pint glass collection located?
2: Um, It's located under the sink next to the teacups.
0: Just curious. Nothing to be afraid of, Sarah.
2: (laughs) Yeah, sure. What's the best pint glass? Uh, I can tell you. Um, Because they're all like sort of um, boutique beer brand names that I've never heard of. Um, Hang on. Uh, this one is my favourite. It's called. Oh, uh, it's something from Barcelona. It's a Barcelona beer, and it's got a big gold star on the side of the pint glass. It's a beautiful pint glass. Um, but yeah, I just um, it's just one of those things that I I always um, I always just if I really like the glass, I will nick off with it.
1: So if if the police just hypothetically did raid your yeah. home, is there anything else that we should be aware of?
2: Yeah. Um, I'm thinking. I'm thinking. Of the amusing answer, which is wildly offensive, and I'm thinking of the genuine answer. Um, Let me think. Just let me think.
1: Well, uh, we want you to be 100% honest.
2: Oh, okay, 100% honest. I don't think there's anything that's going to be a problem in this house. I'm going to like my house is a, it's just a bomb. There's nothing, not a bomb. No, no. Not a bomb. I mean, no, <laughs> no, no. Let no. I me mean, that. No,
1: that's fine.
0: It's interesting yeah. that that's the word that came to your mind, though, Sarah. It
2: is interesting. It is interesting that with some of the materials I have in the basement, that that is the word that came to mind, but completely unrelated.
1: Okay, let's pause for a minute there. We've got it. What? Slam dunk. I say we tell the British authorities everything and get them to bring her in.
0: Sure, sure. I mean, look, the bomb stuff, the drink driving would normally be a problem. But have you seen her mugshot? What about it? She's white. Like, pasty white. She's got ginger hair, Charles. Oh. We only use incriminating jokes about bombs against brown people. Don't you remember anything from the training? But we know where her stash is. Of pint glasses. That's not sedition. That's endearing.
1: Ah, oh, for fuck's sake. You were at university for couple of years and then you just abruptly left ha- what happened there
2: <laughs> um um i was a, um i was a real idiot back then i mean this is kind of in keeping with the the fact that when i was 18 i, I did drink drive on one or two occasions uh and basically i, I had uh, an opportunity uh to get an education and and get my um you know just get a a tertiary education and after about 2 years I just decided I um I was really bored and I thought I can come back to this later in life if I want to but I hate this and I um I'm going to just go off and do something else for a while and I never I never finished it I, ne- I just never finished my degree and it was the easiest degree in the world to have completed there's absolutely no reason why you cannot complete a bachelor of arts like this
1: and, and what sort of excuses would you use to your lecturers?
2: Oh, I see where this is going. Um, I was trying to get special consideration because I hadn't handed in a bunch of things, and I told... Oh, this is so shameful. I told the lecturer that I had been in a heroin rehab clinic to, to, to get special consideration. And wow. it was... I mean... I know, I know. And it's it's really disgraceful because one of two things is going to happen. Either the person's going to go, you are such a liar, you are failing this course, get out of my office. Or they're going to be such a nice person that they're not going to call you into question because they're going to assume that you wouldn't be such a psychopath that you would lie about something like that. Like, they would be such a decent person that they go, oh, look, no one's going to make that up because that would be, you know, that would be such a dreadful thing to make up. So, it was just chancing on the fact that this person was going to be so nice that they um, they went, okay, I believe you and, you know, you, you take whatever time you need to complete these assignments. Yeah. Well, of course, I'm appalled.
0: That is psychologically brilliant, isn't it?
2: It's, um, but, you know, it's...
1: But, but did, did it work out? Like, did you end up passing that course?
2: Yeah, I did. Um, but, um... It just leaves a really bad taste in, in the mouth when I kind of think about um, what a decent person that was. It was, I, I was just a jerk and I, I can't describe myself in any – and, and a, a completely lazy, privileged jerk. But I didn't even think, oh, wow, this is a real opportunity that I can get this, this education and, you know, women have died to give me the right to get this education I should, you know – I should at least make the most of this small brief opportunity. And uh,
1: There's a lot of guilt yeah, there. Yeah, there's something there's a lot of guilt there. Yeah. You're sort of shaming yourself for um, yeah. not you know, doing well of by the suffragettes.
2: Yes, I know. I just um I know. I think when you get older you but things like that you do sort of go, Oh god, what what was I thinking? And I wasn't thinking. But, I don't know. I just think there was something a bit that's the thing about Eighteen-year-olds and nineteen-year-olds is they look like big people, but a lot of the fundamental wiring of the brain isn't there. Like they're not quite right in the head. You know, like when people say mm-hmm. they shouldn't, like you shouldn't let people drive until they're like twenty-five. Like I totally agree. Like you, sh- you just shouldn't let an eighteen-year-old operate heavy machinery. There's something really missing. Or an eighteen-year-old.
1: I mean, year old Sarah Kendall.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean more specifically. In an 18-year-old Sarah Kendall. Where I'm getting, going is you shouldn't let an 18-year-old Sarah Kendall drive a car or do anything.
1: But but you were also doing comedy at the time. And I did.
2: I started doing comedy, that's you,
1: right. You started doing comedy, and that then ended up being your entire career. So in some ways, 18-year-old Sarah Kendall understood where she wanted to go, and that, that decision seems to have played out completely
2: well for you. Uh, is this now good cop, bad cop? Are you being good cop?
1: Well, we're just trying to make sure that we get a forthright <laughs> s- sort of uh, set of answers where you feel relaxed. It's not good cop, yeah. bad cop. We're just having a we're just chatting now, Sarah.
2: This is just a chat. This is just yeah. a chat. There's
1: a chat. no stakes at all It's just here. a re- okay. recorded yeah, just and transcribed chat.
2: chat.
0: There are yes. no um, armed agents sure. outside your house at this point. That's mm. Sure. be completely
1: no, at ease. That. They, they have stood yeah. down. Yeah, I'm good. Dom, quick word. I was lying then. We've got the place surrounded. Yeah, I know, Charles. I'm your commanding officer. I like those calls. Oh, because I reckon we've got it. She is about to become the Julian Assange of Australia, but without the creepy, rapey stuff. Oh, and also, Assange was an Australian too, wasn't he?
0: Yeah, Charles, exactly the same as Assange. Perhaps let me ask the questions. Right, Charles, I need a coffee. So this might be a good place to fit in that mid-roll ad we've got to do. What do you think? Oh, cool. They're my favourite part. Much better than the rest of this podcast. Why did you decide to start doing comedy then back in those days?
2: I always loved... uh, Like, I I, I, I was talking to someone recently about... Like, I always loved stand-up. I just... I remember first seeing, like, stand-up comedians on things like uh, Letterman. And I just absolutely loved the art form. I thought it was so wonderful and it was so – there was something so pure about it. It was just a person telling you stuff and the audience's brain would light up like a Christmas tree. People would be laughing and, you know, I'd I'd watch these comedians and I'd be laughing. And it was so – there was something so basic about it, you know, like – in terms of entertainment, it was such a stripped-down form of entertainment, and I was really interested in it anyway. Like, I, I, I just, I, I, I never thought I would be one, but I, I loved it as an, as an art form. But,
1: but you find it easy to make people laugh, don't you?
2: Well, no, not when I start. I mean, when I started, I just found it so unpleasant in terms of how nervous it made me. I kind of assumed that it wasn't gonna be the thing that I would do. Like I thought, oh, I wanna do something in this area, but um, I don't think my nervous system can handle stand up. It's it's just it made me feel sick. I didn't enjoy it. I um I, I found it I found the, the, the anxiety that it gave me was so unpleasant that I assumed this is not the, the job for me. So should I, try what it. I thought was I'll give it I'll give it twenty years and see <laughs> see how that goes.
0: You should have tried heroin, Sarah. You could have been very relaxed in those early well, gigs.
2: Well, apparently it doesn't give you anxiety. Um, yeah.
1: So what was the... Early on, what was the worst gig you ever did? Like, do you look back... I had back so
2: many. I had so many. I had so many. It's almost like you get um, post-traumatic stress disorder where you kind of try not to think about them because they're too bad. Because you're learning these really big lessons in a very public forum and it's not always a particularly pleasant public forum. Like I did gigs out at, like I did one university. It was like, it was a lunchtime university gig. And, um, some guy just started throwing coins at me. Coins? Coins, like to fuck off. Like he was going, how much do I have to pay you to fuck off? And I knew that if I didn't do the 20 minutes, I wasn't going to get paid. And he just sat there and just threw coins at me. Like it was terrible.
0: And at what point did you start to feel that stand-up was really working out for you, that you were comfortable on stage, that, that it was actually going well? Was there a particular moment where...
2: You <laughs> I'm not it just- joking. It was about 10 years. I'm not joking. It took me about 10 years before I really started to go, yeah, I'm okay. It doesn't matter what happens. You've it's- you've accrued so much experience that you go, ah, oh, it's not that big a deal.
0: Which sounds like even after your first, like the you know, first Perrier nomination for the top comedy award in the UK, even then you were doubting yourself.
2: Yeah, I was still I was still a bundle of nerves. I was still, and I'd learned to use that on stage. So on stage, I would talk about how nervous it was making me. Like I'd sort of gone, why do I keep acting like I'm not nervous? Like I sort of so much of what I was doing for so long, I would kind of try to do a performance as a stand-up comedian not being nervous. And then uh, I think I started to just go with it and started to talk about that and put it into my act and it just started to work for me.
1: When was the last time you ever died on stage?
2: Oh, Tuesday.
1: <laughs> <laughs> really?
2: Mm. I'm running in my new show at the moment um, and I've uh, running in a new show is awful um, because you just have to accept that the first half dozen performances are just going to be awful because it's a brand new show and you don't know what it is and you don't know where the highs and lows are and you're still figuring it out and you know you you come off the back of doing your last show by the time you've done your your lot because you know you do the festival circuit by the time you've done the last show you've done the last show maybe 80 times 100 times so it's this really well-oiled machine you go yeah i'm really good at this i'm probably never going to have a bad gig ever again And then you write a new show and go, this is dreadful. This is, (laughs) this show sucks.
0: Okay, Sarah, uh, Charles, can I have a quick word? Just outside.
1: Okay, Dom, I think we've got her where we want her. Yes. I think she trusts us. Time to focus
0: in on her un-Australian activities. There's an awful lot of those. Okay. Why did you move to the UK? I
2: met a guy. I met a guy, and I didn't think it was going to last. Like, I just thought, well, not, I, none of my relationships last, so I'll just go over, you know, it'll be fun, probably won't last, and it did, unfortunately, for everyone involved. it's a playwright, director, and writer.
1: And he, he travels a lot now, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah. Why?
2: Oh, I see. Oh, uh, well, because he's taking the play to different festivals. So um, he was recently in South Carolina, and then Prague, and then um,
1: they all have New York war-like themes, don't they? They they examine
2: yeah, yeah,
1: human violence. Yes, they do. Mm. Uh,
2: they're they're uh, they're very heavily themed about uh, the conflicts in the Middle East.
0: Mm. Is the Middle East you say? Mm.
2: Yeah, he went to Afghanistan in 2005 on a photographic mission.
1: And has he written extensively about it? (laughs) Yes.
2: Yes, he has now you mention it. Okay, look, I'll tell you what. If you let me go, I will be your rat, (laughs) all right? I'll stay with him and I'll raise his children and I'll inform on him, "Just just don't hurt me.
1: But you'd be fine with us hurting him?
2: Oh, God, yes, as long as I'm not the one getting hurt.
0: So in recent years, Sarah Kendall, you've been telling stories about Australia. This is one of the reasons why you've come to the attention of our department. You've done an Australian trilogy on the BBC and um, told these stories around the world. Um, Yes. Being in the UK for such a long time, how do people there feel about Australia and Australians? Because you you very much wear your identity, you know, sort of up front as an Australian comedian. How do people react to, to that?
2: Um, I think it's in, that's a that's a very good question because there are certain aspects of it that are um, more Australian than are really Australian. Like, I, you know, like there are characters in my stories who are too Australian, and then when I do it in Australia, I've got to tone it down because people, you just know, people are going, no, no one really talks like that. <laughs>
0: so you put in characters from Neighbours, basically. It's truth, <laughs> mate. Absolutely,
2: absolutely. Oh, I've got teachers who talk like that, you know, and that's. You know, and over here, people find it hysterical because they think that's, you know, it's the, they've got all these sort of cultural ideas about Australia that, and it plays up to that.
1: And you're happy to sell out Australia?
2: Oh, absolutely.
1: Hmm.
2: I just thought out my own husband. I just told you I would rat on my husband if you let me go. I will do anything to save my neck.
0: Hmm. I, when I was a child growing up in, uh, in the UK in the 1980s for a few years, almost everyone I met was just absolutely fascinated by and found very funny. The idea that we were upside down is that still yeah. comedy gold no. in the UK.
2: They understand. No, they understand. They've got it. They're on top of it now. Oh, but they, God. I know what you mean. But no, it's. I think. I think. But I know what you mean. They also. The for people of our generation, they will always have a very soft spot for neighbours. Um, neighbours were so huge for that generation.
0: Is that kind of weird so though? Because get, you've got this whole cultural baggage of Australia, which probably doesn't have a lot to do with your experience, and certainly it's. It's not a very sophisticated version of Australia, I guess. Yep. Like, are you yeah, fighting oh, against I'm, I'm, the neighbours' impression of Australia?
2: Yeah, I mean, that's what my shows do. My shows start out like a sort of rural idyll. It's, you know, it's it starts out in this kind of, yeah, it's exactly what you think it is. It's, you know, all beaches and sunshine, and then it all sort of goes a bit darker. I don't know. The way we kind of discussed it when we did the trilogy for, for the BBC was that it's like this dark underbelly to this neighbour's culture that was pimped around the world so there was this kind of um, you know this sunshiny happy teenager that was presented to the world as, a, as as very Australian and then there was the sort of stuff that was really going on and that was kind of the flip side to that stereotype so we kind of played with that, we knowingly played with that. So
0: by undermining neighbours you're actively destroying the Australian yeah. economy, Sarah Uh
2: I'd never thought of it that way, but that totally plays into my guilt complex. So, yes.
1: Where Where is this heading? Like, you, you're concentrating on stories. You're doing podcasts yeah. for the BBC. You must get asked this. It's original. not a podcast. It was
2: not a podcast. It was a proper radio show, like the proper radio. It wasn't a podcast. It was a proper radio show in the BBC theatre.
1: BBC Four,
0: right?
2: BBC Radio is that Four.
0: The, is that the snobby Radio National bit of the BBC?
2: Yeah, yeah, it's the really clever one.
0: You've really it's made it one over with there. all the clever
2: documentaries. Oh, I've made it. I've, I've, I mean, you know, if, if if you've always wanted to make it in radio, I've made it.
0: <laughs> yeah, radio's so, not—it's not that glamorous. <laughs> Sorry, Sarah. Charles, can I see you for a moment? Sure. What do you reckon? She's a high-value asset. Her cover is impeccable. In terms of sleeper cells, you don't get much more embedded than she is.
1: Yeah, or there's no cover, and she's. Just a stand-up comedian. What? She might just be what she says she is.
0: Oh, you're so naive, Charles. Nobody would subject themselves to that sort of humiliation night after night for 20 years just to get a BBC radio show. Would they? Wouldn't they? They wouldn't, would they?
1: Well, I think it all comes down to the next few questions. Now, we've just got a few uh, administrative questions. As you'll be aware, there is a citizenship test... Yeah. Um, can you please recite the second verse of the Australian national anthem? <laughs> uh,
2: I didn't know there was a second. But I'm joking. I knew there was a second verse. Uh, no, I can't do it. Right. Okay. I don't know it. I don't know it. Yeah, I don't know. It I don't know it. That's next one.
0: Fine. Uh, what is Don Bradman's batting average?
2: Uh, Ninety-nine Something He got out for a duck. He would have had a 100, so you, and, but he got out for a duck. So you, didn't he? Is that the story?
1: You knew the story about the duck, but you didn't know yeah. the average. Right. Okay. Nice. okay. So that's oh,
2: fine. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Go on.
1: Do you like Vegemite?
2: Yeah, I, I have it every morning. I'm not even lying. I have it every morning.
1: Mm. Have
0: you um, this- fed it to your children as well? Do they like it? Yep,
2: yep. My kids love it. My kids love Vegemite. They don't even know that Marmite exists. They have no idea that there is a brand of like, yeast extract called Marmite. They've only ever known Vegemite. It's like I've done this weird thing to my, my English children. I love it.
0: Do you plan to come back at any point on, yep. on a permanent basis?
2: Yeah, I do. Um, I, I'm hoping, planning to come back uh, soon. I'm working towards it now if this whole process if this whole process pans out and goes the way we think it's all going to go I'm hoping to to come home soon
0: wouldn't necessarily get my hopes up Sarah okay after all these years of living in the UK what's drawing you back home
2: well you know family there, there just comes a, as I said you know you can't travel as often when you've got kids and you I you know, I'd, I'd just really like to, to sort of be closer to my family because I can't get home as much as I used to.
1: Is it because your dad can do free dental on the kids?
2: Yeah, totally. Yeah. How did you know that?
1: Dom, can I have a chat to you outside? I reckon she seemed a bit too eager to prove she loved Vegemite.
0: Yeah, total giveaway. Nobody loves Vegemite that much.
1: Wait, what? I do?
0: Charles, she's clearly full B.
1: Let's tell her. Sarah, we've made our assessment. And? We find you of unfit character and we will be recommending to the department that your citizenship be revoked. Do you have anything to say in your own defence before we submit that recommendation?
2: I am a heroin addict and I think you need to give me a shot at this when I've cleaned up. And it's been hard for me being in rehab for the past 10 days... Um, no, I've got nothing to say to that. I knew it was going to happen. I just i knew that's exactly where this was going the whole time. What kind of show would this be if it ended on Yes, You Get Your Citizenship?
0: <laughs> Thank you very much, Sarah Kendall. Thank you. Extreme Vetting is recorded in the studios of Podcast One. Written, presented and edited by Charles Firth and Dom Knight. The show is produced by Alex Mitchell audio production by Nick Slater. The executive producer is Jamie Show. And to get in touch with us or for more episodes, head to podcastone.com.au or download the Podcast One app.
1: And remember, no one is safe. No one.
0: Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block.